0: The views and opinions expressed on Analyze This are entirely those of the on-air participants and do not reflect those of the station's board, management, staff, or underwriters.
1: Welcome to another edition of Analyze This here on your NPR station in the U.S. Virgin Islands, W. TJX FM 93.1. It's a Overcast Day here in Paradise. We had a little show up uh, this morning. Keep the island green uh, and all that uh, good stuff. And we got a great show lined up. We're going to be talking with the National Park Service um, Superintendent, Mr. Nigel Fields, um, at about 8.20. And then uh, in... Uh, Our number two, we can do Nourish to Flourish, a Friday edition. Normally, we do that on either the last or the third Wednesday uh, of uh, every month. But uh, today, we'll be talking with um, Holly, Holly Louise, and uh, a good friend, Chef Julius, um, on uh, Friday as opposed to a Wednesday. Um... Let me do the uh, COVID-19 uh, numbers that we received um, yesterday afternoon from the Department of Health. Um, I'd say a manageable sample, uh, 367 tests, of which 32, 332 were negative and 35 were positive so I believe we came in under 10% if we divide that um 35 into 367 yeah nine and a half percent positivity rate of course you know our threshold is five percent but um this time of year it goes up because there's been significant congregating um, beginning around Thanksgiving and then uh, climaxing uh, with the festival here on St. Croix. First one we've had uh, in three since uh, 1920, three years ago. So that was expected. Mainland numbers, uh, oh, we had uh, up to 35, excuse me, up to 35 positives. 19 were on St. Croix, 15 were on St. Thomas, and one was on St. John. We now have 289. Actives in the territory, 228 on St. Croix, 59 in St. Thomas, and 2 on St. John. And of course, you know, we're hoping to bend back that um, positivity ratio and territorial actives. Um, I'd say sometime starting next week, we're hoping to see that trend reverse Uh, nationally, Um, we're at 104,093,499 cases according to worldometer.info. That number is typically higher than the database for Johns Hopkins and the New York Times. And they have deaths at 1,132,132. Now, if I go to Johns Hopkins EDU Um, hold on let me pull that up because they got their own numbers as well Johns Hopkins coronavirus map blah 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 you click on this and they got tracking numbers which is what the New York Times uses Um, their numbers their deaths numbers were about 25,000 behind the world of data, of course, world of they they, they um, tap into a number of different sources. Let me see, uh, let me click on a country here mm, Alabama, bam bam bam. Let's see, click on a state, kind of country, work your way all the way down to United States and see where Johns Hopkins has us at. Okay, here we go. Mm, they're loading. Yeah, their confirmed case number is one hundred and two million, one eighty one fifty three, which is uh, like one point nine million cases less than worldometer.info, and their their death number for the for America and the Americas, and American jurisdiction is at 1,106,524, which is 25.6 million uh less than the worldometer.info, okay now uh let me see something else here there um okay for the past week they have uh the number at 307,073 cases For the past week. Uh, Remember, we mentioned the record high was uh, 5,640,082, which was last year from January 10th to January 6th. So, uh, if the record high for a week is 5.6 million, that means 10% is at 560,000. And we are, for this week, at 307,000. So we're somewhere between 5 and 6%. Yeah, somewhere between 5 and 6% um, compared to um, when infections were at their worst. Okay? Um, the deaths number, though, we got 4,076 for the last week. In America and its jurisdictions. Record high is at 23,341 for just about the same window, but the year before, from January 11th to January 17th. So again, uh, 10% of the 23,341 would be 2,330, and we're at 4,076 so we're at like 17 18 percent somewhere between there just 4600 would get us to 20 percent of the record high trend so uh we're nowhere near that but we're still not out of the woods definitely got to keep an eye on where we are good thing is that uh the positivity rate has trickled back to 11 percent and um yeah, it was at twelve percent for a couple of days after going down to eleven percent right Let me see yeah it was at twelve percent for three days Tuesday Wednesday and Thursday Monday was at eleven percent and last week Friday which was the twentieth it was at it was at twelve percent like a notation here analyze this. 120, and then um, yeah. So the mainland is working its way back to single digits, and that's a good thing. Now um, on Wall Street, uh, the Dow approaching 34,000 man. It closed yesterday at 33,949, up. Two hundred and five point five seven points, which is about three fifths of a percent. At point six one percent. Uh eighteen of the thirty blue chip stocks are gains. Nasdaq was up one point seven six. And by the way, um Doc's cool forget me and uh Dewey Henry gonna have a uh a discussion about these different indices um Tuesday. With Nasdaq and S&P and uh, Russell 2K, uh, S&P was up 1.1 percent, and Russell was up 0.44 uh, percent. Yeah, just to um, speak a little bit, give a little insight with respect to the um, the the different indices and the tech indices and the size, the volume of the indices as well. I think Russell 2K is like 500 different uh, uh, stocks. Uh, we I had um started doing my homework with respect respected that and uh, let me say hold on there I had forwarded that that data uh, mm that story. yeah we had uh i think they' like five hundred stacks so we're gonna we're gonna have fun uh breaking that one down when we complete our our um recon. Uh, over the weekend, okay. Now remember last year <clears throat> when I left, um, I went to the Belmont Stakes, and um, I uh, I told you when I came back, I told you this was the first time I had ever gone to the Belmont Stakes, and my primary reason for going to the Belmont Stakes was not to see the Belmont Stakes, but was uh, to see the Metropolitan Handicap. They refer to it as a Met Metbile because there was a, a horse that had ran in California um, three times uh, in 2021 and he was making his 2022 um, seasonal debut on Belmont Stakes Day at Belmont Park last June by the name of Flight Lane. And I said, I, I go to New York, I go see he. Because he had, uh, the first three times he had ran, uh, he won by an average of about 13 lengths per race. But at shorter distances, six furlongs, six furlongs, and then seven furlongs, and of course, the Metropolitan Handicap, affectionately known as the Met Mile, is one mile, which is eight furlongs. And he won that race by six lengths. And I came back here and I said, and I told you that uh, I may have just seen the modern-day Pegasus. Uh, Well, subsequent to that, uh, when I took my summer vacation, I went up to Saratoga and then I uh, flew out to Del Mar, which is the the summer track in Southern California out in San Diego, Uh, Labor Day weekend. That was when he was running his second race. And he, was, he went up from a mile to a mile and a quarter, and he won that race by 19 lengths. And then, of course, uh, he culminated his uh, season and ultimately his career at the Breeders' Cup um, at Keeneland in Lexington, Kentucky, and he, he won the Breeders' Cup Classic by eight lengths. Well, yesterday he was named Horse of the Year. And um, I believe he's the first horse since 1983 to win horse of the year in America and only race three times. That's an accomplishment. But he was coming into the year with so much hype and he literally exceeded the hype. And he won those three races by 6 19, that's 25, and 8 um, 33. So an average of 11, 12 lengths, thereabouts. And all of those races were grade one races, top level. And they weren't even close. That's the reason why they were trying to mention him in the same breath as Secretariat. Of course, you know we know that Secretariat was not an ordinary horse. Uh, When they measured his heart, it was two and a half times the size of a normal horse. That's Secretariat. But um, Flightline, you know, he got the he got the title last night, and it was nice to see all of his connections. And we actually have one of our homeboys. Uh, Jelani Grant, he's an exercise writer for the trainer of uh, Flightline. Um, John Sadler. So I I spoke with Jelani um, when I was out in California the night of the Pacific Classic because I had to catch that red-eye flight. You know, every time I come back from California, we take a midnight flight so we could be back in Miami by 7 o'clock, 7, 8 o'clock in the morning, take that connecting flight to get back home. And he was telling me a story about a uh, flight lane. He said uh, they were working him one morning and um, he was on another horse and flight lane was, be- was behind him about maybe a length, length and a half, a couple of lengths, and a little bit to his outside. And he said the horse that he was on, he kicked up uh, a clod of dirt and the dirt hit side, hit flight line. And before he knew it, flight line was five lengths in front of him. That's how he reacted to being hit by the cloud of dirt. And at that point, the trainer said, we will never work in my company again. Because uh, we don't want him to get out of control. And uh, he's so competitive that... Uh, he, that, I, that was interesting. He said, Yo, we never, every time he worked, he worked by himself. And, and basically, you know, you know, you buy these animals. He was bought for a million dollars in 2019. Now, this is where I really wanted to take the story. As a yearling, when he was one year old in 2019, right? You see, it was one? Yeah, it was one in 2019. Because he was born in in 2018. After he won the Breeders' Cup in November, Saturday, November the 5th, they retired him Sunday, November the 6th, because now they're sending him off to to stud to be a stallion for breeding purposes. On Monday... November seven, they sold two and a half percent of his right a share for two and a half percent one fortieth, and that share sold for four point six million. So you uh, extrapolate that and multiply that four point six. That that you multiply that four point six million. times 40, and his net value was $184 million. Purchase in July, August, in 2019, for a million dollars. And three years, and a couple of months later, he was worth $184 million. Absolutely mind-boggling. Economics you know how we do that. That's what we do. We do all ladies here. So I just wanted to let you guys know that, you know, um, the, the trips that I, I took last year and I, I saw uh, flight line, uh I guess I'm his good luck charm. <laughs> anyway, uh, we'll take a break. When we come back, uh, we should have Mr. Fields joining us, Nigel Fields, the superintendent for National Park Service. Have a good conversation with him. He's coming up on a two-year anniversary in that capacity. And then uh, Nourish the Flourish in our number two. We'll be back. Right after this.
0: Banking for your business. At Bank of St. Croix, our mobile apps provide access to business accounts on the go. And our merchant card services accept credit and debit payments anywhere, anytime. Plus, the online banking platform means your bank is always open. Bank of St. Croix has two locations, one in Gallows Bay at 340-773-8500 and one in Peter's Rest at 340-713-8500. Bankofstcroix.com.
2: I'm Scott Tong from Public Radio's Midday News Magazine Here and Now. We bring you all the news that happens between the morning headlines and the afternoon wrap-up. Plus, conversations with authors and artists, stories that affect you, maybe a story about you. So join us for NPR's Midday News Magazine, Here and Now.
0: Weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 p.m. right here on WTJX-FM 93.1. You know exactly how you take your morning coffee.
2: Knowing where to get news you can rely on is just as simple. Listen to Morning Edition from NPR News
0: every weekday. From 6 to 8 a.m., here on WTJX FM 93.1, your NPR station in the Virgin Islands. You can also listen on demand via the WTJX app, available for download from the App Store in Google Play. So I spent the past year trying to figure out what news design
2: for 21st century humans might look like. One of the things that really stuck with me was that we now know that humans actually need hope to get up in the
0: morning. And I don't think as a journalist, I ever thought about it that way. We're always looking for new and better ways to understand the world we live in. That's On Point with me, Magna Chakrabarti. Weekdays at 1 p.m. on WTJX FM 93.1. Your NPR station in the Virgin Islands.
1: This and um, so looking forward to speaking uh, with uh, uh, Mr. Fields. Um, <clears throat> who, uh, by the way, was, um, was looking this up, looking this up here. Uh, I uh, got appointed uh, director of I mean, superintendent um, back in early 20. 20- let me see uh, yeah 2020 I think it was yeah so he's looking at a three year uh, anniversary um, as uh, superintendent um, of uh, the park service the Virgin Islands National Park and the Virgin Islands Corolla Reef Reef um, National uh, Monument so we're curious as to Um, how the Park Service uh, has been making out. Uh, Mr. Fields, before joining um, the National Park Service in 2011, uh, spent 15 years as an environmental health scientist with the Environmental Protection Agency, EPA, including serving as the Regional Science Director with the Office of Research and Development at EPA. Fields promoted community-based science solutions that protect children and vulnerable populations from threatening toxics in the air, food, and water. Has a bachelor degree in ecology, evolution, and organic. Well, make sure I say this right. Organismal biology from Tulane University. So, Green Wave down there in, in Louisiana and received a Master of Science in Environmental Health Sciences from the Tulane School of Public Health and Tropical uh, Medicine. So, we're gonna have this, there we go. We're gonna have uh, this discussion uh, with Mr. Fields. Uh, uh, Hopefully, Right now, Mr. Fields, are you on the line? Good morning. No, I apologize about that. Thank you very much. Uh, Glad to have you on. Uh, Welcome to Analyze This. How are you?
2: I'm well. I'm glad to be here to be able to speak with you and also your listeners. And I also appreciate your tech crew for being flexible this morning. I was needing to call in because I'm doing some things out in the field today. So I appreciate their flexibility today.
1: I appreciate uh, your indulgence. Appreciate that. So how's St. John?
2: man, things are moving here in the Virgin Islands. It's always a very dynamic place, and uh, we've had a lot of conversations the last few days about Keneal Uh, but there's a bunch of stuff that's going on in the park and um, so I'm glad to be able to provide some updates uh, but also to let people know how they can participate and how they can add their comments as we refine down and get to our kind of our final plan for how we want to manage the Keneal landscape. So I'm glad to talk about any of those things Um, but um, yeah good to talk with you and let me know what you'd like to uh, discuss.
1: Well, Um, introduce yourself, you know, I, I read a little bit of your, bio, your, your biography, but um, I'm, I'm going to yield to you so you can introduce yourself let the public know uh, who is Nigel yeah, Fields and that. all that good oh, stuff
2: yeah that was very kind of you thank you so um so i, I am um, uh, approaching my third year as you mentioned as the permanent superintendent here i was here for about a year and a half prior to that on a, an assignment so in total um i got here in 2018 uh just to do a detailed assignment after the hurricanes to focus on the hurricane recovery efforts uh, but really enjoyed the unusual challenges and also the connection with building and strengthening partnerships and trust with the community uh, and decided to stick around and um, have been continuing in that vein ever since. Uh, and I think that we can uh, demonstrate uh, that we've made some progress. There's still a lot of work to be done, uh, but we've been making some progress. I've been really pleased with uh, people's willingness to have conversation, to engage with us, uh, to find ways that we can make Uh, that service part of the National Park Service be our real mantra here. We're here to provide service. So so I think, um, um, as you mentioned before, coming to um, the Virgin Islands, I was at Great Smoky Mountains National Park for a few years. And before then, I was in New Orleans. I had returned home uh, after 15 years at the EPA. So uh, coming to the Park Service was a bit of career change, uh, but I wanted to get home uh, and spend some time with my family uh, and then decided I was ready to move about a bit. So so it's been um a really uh, special adventure and uh being here in the Virgin Islands has been a highlight of my career. You've
1: been uh you said you were here a, a year and a half before you, you received the permanent um designation. Um when you got here um what did you see from a, from a an impact standpoint with the hurricanes and and the park
2: service? Wow, thank you for that question. Uh my memories of uh getting here um was first a lot of activity i've met a lot of people who were scurrying around uh, still in um, the mode of getting things back up and going, uh, but there is still quite a bit of evidence of of, um, of serious destruction from the two hurricanes uh, and systems getting back up and going again. We had a number of problems with our roads. Uh, Cinnamon Bay was in complete um, destruction. Uh, clearly, uh, the condition of Keneal Bay, as we see, was also destroyed. Um, lots of problems and debris all over the beaches. Um, just still, just. Tons of work to be done, and we were beginning at that point to begin that next level of assessment, getting a sense of impacts to to the coral reefs, to the shorelines, to the mangrove forests, uh, but. We first had all those immediate issues, like what conditions were, were our buildings in? Uh, we had uh, buildings that we couldn't even turn the lights on. There was water all in the, in the, um, in the electrical uh, circuits. Uh, so um, we had a lot of damage to, to our own infrastructure, even the places where our, our staff were housed. So there was a lot of immediate need that we had to, um, to to address, just like everybody else here, uh, t- taking care of their homes, taking care of, of their, um, their personal property. Um, and we're still going through some of that now, right? So we've been able to repair uh, our homes, like taking care of that first so people can have a safe place to be. We're now doing Um, repairs to our headquarters building it's kind of obvious if you're downtown you see a lot of scaffolding there Um, these are just repairs it's not a major uh, renovation or a major major change but it is putting in more hurricane resistant windows uh, putting in a new roof, fixing the gutters that were wrecked, um, putting in a better HVAC system so we're more energy efficient. Um, we hope that we can eventually add solar panels so that we can be more green with our energy use. So um, just remembering how things were uh, when we first got here with the damage to our infrastructure and Checking on staff, seeing where everybody was, making sure people had ways to get back compared to where we are today. It's been amazing to think about that progress. Now that Cinnamon Bay is completely opened again, the cottages are rebuilt, so the eco tents are open and the bear sites are there and people are really enjoying their experiences there. We have programs that are happening there all week. So it's been amazing to see the transition from what was to what is.
1: No, that's no, that's that's awesome. And I see you have a, a staff of five. Or is it bigger than that? <laughs> Because I see um, you got concessions, special park use permits, commercial use authorizations, an administrative officer, hurricane hole permits coordinator. Um, how, how large is your staff? Because I see five here, but I'm sure there's probably more than that.
2: Yeah, it is. I think uh, we're right around 40, 42 right now, okay. somewhere in that range. Mm-hmm. We're uh, building our staff right now, and uh, we've had some positions that we announced. Uh, just a few months ago, we had a couple of, um, I think we had three uh, events where we uh, did job fairs. Uh, we partnered with the uh, Department of Labor on their job fairs. We had here on St. John as well. So we were getting the word out that we have um, some positions available, both permanent and some seasonal positions. So, um, so uh, we're bit by bit building up our staff uh we'll have some new leadership positions that will add to our our team so uh, we have not had a permanent chief of interpretation education and volunteers uh, since uh, mr paul thomas who served in that position for quite some time retired almost 10 years ago and so um, i'm really excited to bring back that critically important position uh, for us to expand the ways in which we tell the stories here, the deep, important stories, let people know how to be safe and let people know how to help take care of this place, and also focus on their education, being able to really have curriculum-based education, working with teachers so kids get a chance to learn about their environment, learn about their space, learn about the place that they're from uh, in the place, right? Having these classrooms, if you will, outside, in in the environment uh, both from the cultural standpoint and the natural standpoint so really glad to be able to build up uh, that program over the next few years with new leadership coming in uh so excited about uh, our leadership team that we're we're building as well as some of the staff position so so i'm expecting both stabilize somewhere around 45 46 staff will be stable around that area okay now
1: um, your focus solely on um st john because i know we got uh park service Locations in Saint Thomas and Saint Croix as well. So, what's the deal with that?
2: That's true. So, um, in total, there um, are what five park units. Mm-hmm. Uh, Year between Saint um, between the, the three islands, and also uh, as a Caribbean network, we have our, our location in Saint uh, San Juan. So there's six of us here in the Caribbean. Um, there's a superintendent on San Juan, um, the Myrna, Myrna, uh, Myrna Palfrey. She's uh, she's incredible, and then we have a relatively new and dynamic leader on on Saint Croix, uh, Angelito. Albino. Um, But for St. Thomas and St. John, those are managed here. Um, So even though my office is based here on St. John, we do have responsibilities there in the Red Hook area that's largely at administrative space. Uh, we use that uh, for um, for our own purposes. We also have a connection with uh, emergency medical services. So any of those major emergencies where we have to get someone transported from St. John over to the hospital in St. Thomas, they have direct access to our doc. So uh, that's been a service we've been able to provide for a number of years. The National Guard, uh makes use of the space for drills, so, and it's a great community space, too. It's one of the uh, few um, uh, green park spaces on the east side of St. Thomas, so there are a lot of people who like making use of it for the day, for walking, biking, what have you, for the kids to play, that kind of thing. So uh, even though it's administrative space for us, it does provide some community service there in Red Hook. And then, of course, there's Hassel Island. Uh, Hassel Island uh, came into the Park Service uh, a number of years ago, decades ago, uh, but it didn't come with any additional resources. So we've been um, glad to partner with the St. Thomas Historic Trust in the past years, uh, making sure people had access to Hassel Island. They would, uh, for a fee, they could have a a tour to get over there and then to um, take a walk on some of the trails and learn about the incredible history there at Hassel Island. It's a really rich historical place. Uh, And it's so close, it's right there, right there. uh, right in the harbor of Charlotte, Amai. Um We've been updating our agreement with the trust, and we're looking forward to ha- returning some of those those activities for the public soon. So that covers the, the properties, if you will, that we uh, have management authority over here on St. John and then the two locations on St. Thomas.
1: Okay. I got a question here for one of my listeners. Good morning, Neville. My nephew is interested in joining Park Services, so can he talk about how a young person... Should go about joining the Park Service.
2: Yeah, thank you. That's a fantastic question. Um, one of the one of the ways, depending if um, on those that may be in high school or just beginning college, uh, during the summertime, uh, we have our Youth Conservation Corps, our YCC program, um, and it's a great opportunity to come in for about six weeks to learn the range of things uh, that the Park Service does. Those are paid uh, internship positions, um, and they're hired as federal employees for the summer. Uh, so it's a great foot in the door. You get to meet um, all the divisions, all the different folks in our divisions and get a chance to work alongside them. Uh, so it's a fantastic opportunity to learn not only about what we do here uh, in Virgin Islands National Park, but what we do in the Park Service as a whole. We have 423 sites across the entire country. So uh, it's a great footway into a federal career. Uh, I also encourage anyone interested in jobs that we have here in the federal government are at the park to continue to look at usa jobs.gov usa jobs.gov that's where we post the majority of our um, our, our permanent jobs uh, and then um, we also post jobs on Facebook anytime we have an announcement we let people know on Facebook that there's a position open and when it closes uh, just a, a plug here that it's really helpful to have your resume updated uh, and to uh, follow the instructions that are online for making sure you have all what you need on the resume. Uh, but always glad to talk to any young person who's interested in a federal career or interested in working here at Virgin Islands National Park.
1: And, well, I, the, uh, they furthered the question. He has a degree in criminal justice and he's interested in enforcement.
2: <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Well, um uh, and, We're interested in having enforcers uh, who are from the Virgin Islands. It's a a benefit to us to have locals who uh, are willing or interested in joining our forces. Uh, Be glad to talk to that person uh, who's interested and also connect them with our law enforcement staff. Um, that's one of the best ways to, um, uh, to enter in, uh, we are able to do some local recruitment for our law enforcement program here. Uh, it's a national program for law enforcement across the entire country, the park service, but we do have the ability to do some national recruitment. Okay. Just good. As an episode, okay. I, well, well, a person that goes into law enforcement. No, hold, hold, there is hold, on,
1: hold on there one second. We, we, we're going to take a break. I didn't mean to cut you off. I apologize. Um, So we we can pick back up the discussion with respect to what you were going to say in terms of um, law enforcement and for someone who's interested in law enforcement where the park service is concerned. We'll take a break. We'll be back right after this with Mr. Nigel Fields, superintendent for National Park Service here in St. Thomas and St. John. We'll be back right after this. What is the secret to happiness? That's a really good question. And how can we live a more meaningful existence?
2: Here's the secret, I think, of life. That
1: I'm Anush Zamarodi Each week on NPR's TED Radio Hour, we go on a journey with TED speakers who help us answer some of life's biggest
0: questions. Oh, wow. Yeah, let's get right to it. Join us. Saturdays at 4 p.m. here on WTJX FM 93.1. What is dedication? My daughter is biological and my son is adopted. I love them both so much, from the morning when you wake up, to putting them to bed at night, and every moment in between. I think a parent's job is to protect our children, but also prepare them for the world so they become good, kind human beings. That's dedication. Find out more at fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Smokey Bear, and I made an assistant to help you out, because only you can prevent wildfires. Hey, Assistant Smoky Bear, call me Papa Bear, because I'm grilling up dinner. <laughs> do you get it? Yes, good job. So, what should I do with all these coals?
2: Don't just toss them out. Put them in a metal container, because those embers can start a wildfire.
0: I understand. The stakes are high. Ha,
2: ha, ha, ha.
0: Learn more at smokybear.com
2: Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester and the Ad Council.
1: And we're back here I uh, Analyze This and we're having a Brief conversation with Mr. Nigel Fields. At some point, um, we'll get into a, a, a good comprehensive discussion uh, down the road. Uh, good morning once again, Mr. Fields. Hey,
2: good morning, sir.
1: So you were saying about law enforcement and entry into the park service uh, in general for young people.
2: Just wanted to make sure it's also clear with becoming a federal officer with the Park Service, uh, there is a requirement to go into the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center. Uh, This is called FLETC, Federal Law Enforcement Training Center, which is based in Georgia. So uh, I know there are a lot of people who have an interest, but it requires being able to go for about four to five months getting very specialized training on the laws that govern how to protect natural resources and cultural resources, what authorities we have, how to do investigations whenever there's been somebody who's been poaching or doing things bad within the park. Um, And then after that, there's another few months of field training at a different location. So you get to apply and learn and get mentored in law enforcement uh, in a different location. It could be It could be, who knows, Hawaii or California or Florida or uh, New York or wherever it may be uh, where there's a park that is needing to train up someone. And then after that, after you've completed all those things and met all the tests and all the requirements, then you're back assigned here at Virgin Islands National Park. So the process from being interested in entering in, getting signed up to go to the training in Georgia, getting your field uh, field work done and then coming back and then starting on the ground here is about nine months or so. So um, for some, that's a great opportunity and that's exciting, and for some, that's a bit of a barrier. But I want to make sure that's part of the process that people are interested in. The law enforcement, there is specialized requirements and training that they get that ensure that they know the laws that we enforce and how and why.
1: www.fletc.gov. And I guess you're referring to Glencoe, Georgia. Exactly. You where, got it. Where that where that training, yeah. I like to hang out on the internet. Like you, you guys make me look good. So I, I appreciate that. <laughs> um, so you grew up in the you grew up in the Gulf Coast. Um, the, 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 the shores of Louisiana?
2: uh south louisiana south mississippi right there on the gulf coast so okay. being quite some with uh with the marshes and the swamps and uh the rivers and creeks um the gulf coast um you know being able to to fish and hunt and crab and shrimp all those things growing up as a kid
1: where is um where where is gulfport mississippi
2: Gulfport, Mississippi, is right at the very bottom of Mississippi on the Gulf Coast itself. Uh, so there's a couple little coastal towns uh, right there. So if you're in New Orleans and you get on the interstate right there on the coast, you go through Slidell. You The next one you hit in Mississippi is Bay St. Louis. That's the little town that I first grew up in after we left New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it uh, goes past for Stan, Long Beach, Gulfport. And then after that is Biloxi. You keep going, you get to Mobile. You keep going, you get to Pensacola. Yeah, so
1: yeah. Mo- all, Mo- Mobile is Alabama. Pensacola is Florida. And you, you, you work your way all the way down. Let me ask this question. I, I, I'm, I'm listening to you. You, you pronounce you pronounce um, New Orleans differently. Why is that? Is that is that a is that a Louisiana thing? I
2: say New Orleans like New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up it, it's not New
1: Orleans. Or is some it, other it's saying. not New Orleans. <laughs> but uh, no. but 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 uh <laughs> I, I, I always have I always have fun with this. Knowledge. Orleans. Yeah. I, I we know that that Knowledge. there's this way that you're supposed to say it. It's not new. You don't say new. You kinda blend the 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 N E W with the first the first letter with knowledge. So so uh I wanna make sure I hear you pronounce it correctly. Can you could you uh pronounce that that awesome global city uh one more time? New Orleans, New Orleans. There we go. There we go. Yeah. And uh, and then you matriculated at Tulane, at, uh, a Green Wave. What's it? I did. What, what, I did. What's it like? Um, to tell us a little bit about Tulane uh, and, and going to school uh, down in the South. And it was,
2: uh, it was an experience. Uh, I uh, had the interaction with um, a broad set of diverse folks. Uh, my junior in high school I got a chance to go to Duke University for the summer uh, to start college a little bit early and that was my first introduction to people from Egypt and a bunch of people from Israel and from all over the world but it was still just a small introduction when I got to Tulane it was a big culture shock so here I am in New Orleans a place that I know really well that I feel really connected to and I step into campus And it's like a polyglot from all over the world. Uh, The foods, the smells, the scents, the people, things that people are wearing, it it was, um, it was. Uh, yeah, really mind-opening, um, and, uh, getting a sense of how similar we all are across the world and some key differences, uh, some real long-standing issues with Tulane. Uh, just very briefly, you know, Paul Tulane, uh, who established, uh, the university set it up for, for white men. Uh, so the idea of women, people of color, people like me being at the school is probably turning into grades. So, Those legacies, though, have real impact. And so being a person of color, being African-American, going into a school that's majority white, that has a large Jewish population and other entities, it was some challenges culturally. Uh, It's one thing to find myself there academically. It's another to feel uh, safe and feel like this is also a place that I belong and creating that space. You know, being able to create that space of belonging there. And I think me and several of my uh, college friends were able to do that. But that's that's part of the reality of it, right? It's a great place to feel like you're a part of, of the whole world and you're connected to people from everywhere. But also there's this legacy of of, um, of enslavement that's But uh, but, but, but But didn't that help you? Did, did,
1: didn't that help you from the standpoint now you're living in another melting pot here in the Virgin Islands?
2: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And uh, there are a lot of uh, similar... Um, colonial cultural features that you have in New Orleans that you have in the Virgin Islands. In New Orleans is a North Caribbean uh, North Caribbean place. Uh, most of the people that were brought there for enslavement came through the Caribbean and landed there in New Orleans. So the cultural connections are deep. So being here, there's a lot of familiarity with that. Uh, at the same time, there's a lot of familiarity of what's it like for people to strive and persevere and get through all of that and still be finding space today. How do they find their place now. And I think um, that's something I got introduced to in a new way at Tulane, and I feel that that's a still a conversation that I see happening here in the Virgin Islands. No, That's that's awesome. Now,
1: um, so you live on arguably the loveliest Virgin Island in St. John. Um, of course, you not live on St. Croix. Uh, I, I tend to be biased, but I got to give a spade of space. St. <laughs> John, John. No, well, th- 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 no, th- th- that goes without saying that they're all lovely, but St. John has a loveliness about it that that um, Saint Thomas and Saint Croix uh, really can relate to. From that's a coziness and all that stuff. However, mm-hmm. um, you know, you mentioned you know some of the realities we're dealing with. One of the realities in Saint John is the fact that um, uh, most of uh, a majority of the island is park service, as opposed to you know um, Saint Croix and Saint Thomas, where they're just small little snippets. Um, th- th- when you think of Saint John, the first thing that comes to your mind outside of um, the beauty on Cruise Bay and the Beaches is the, the Park Service impact, Lawrence Rockefeller, um, uh, you know, um, reaching, using his influence to get the federal government to designate a significant portion of St. John. Um, I don't think there's anywhere else um, where people live, at least four, 4,000 fourth to 5,000 people, where a majority of the island is Park Service, Superintendent Fields, that, that's that's unique.
2: It is unique. Uh, So we um, have approximately 60% of the of the of the landscape here under Park Service Management. Um, The boundary that was set out by Congress is larger than that. But we don't have all the properties within that boundary and at this point we're not in any mode of expanding our our footprint so um, the properties that um, that are under Park service management is about sixty percent of the island uh, so it's significant no doubt about it um, I know that people say well it's worse over here worse over there do you talk to the folks in Nevada because they're close to Almost 80% is park or national park, but it's other federal lands or other public lands, uh, Nevada. So it's only about 20, 22% or something that's private land. Uh, And the same with Utah, it's a big number. It's like close to 70% of public land. So there are a few other places out west. Uh, that also feel that difference of having a lot of land that's designated for the public versus private. Uh, so uh, certainly, St. John is another place where a good chunk of the land here is managed by um, by a public land entity.
1: Um, that's uh, that, that, that's significant. Now, um, yeah. <clears throat> let's get back to um Bay, right? Because Canilbe Bay um, is was prior to being devastated in 2017, um, <clears throat> for the most part, the economic fiber uh, mm. for St. John. <laughs> and um, while, you know, we, we're definitely in the business of protecting the environment, protecting the ecosystem, uh, making sure that the natural flavor of St. John is not compromised mm. in any way, shape, or form. Um, at the same time, we can't ignore the economics. And Keneal uh, mm. Bay has to be back to where it was. So what? what, um, what why does it have to be, why does the, the politics and the bureaucracy have to play such an important part in making something that was so instrumental to the existence of St. John? whole once again, we need Keneal Bay open again, Superintendent Fields. Help us out.
2: Man, I feel the frustration. <laughs> I appreciate it. I feel it, too. Uh, Is Why can't this be done and be done now? I get it. And um, uh, we have been very transparent on moving toward getting the environmental contamination dealt with, engaging the public on what they envision for the future, uh, and giving us the data and the interest that we need to move this forward it has been very frustrating i can appreciate that you know the 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 landscape here economically has shifted since keneal closed uh it was such a big impact i will say people here once again on st john and in st thomas are really resilient they found some other ways to make some things work but clearly uh keneal, we think in the park service needs to come back mm-hmm. we'd like to see back and Mm -hmm. so we're looking at that transition of september 30th 2023 uh when lawrence rockefeller established that that retained use of state that kind of designation for canneil ends, and it's now park services job to manage whatever happens so we want to have a plan in place we want to be able to start working with um whomever the best developer is possible to work with us to go through all the permitting, to go through coastal development management, to get all the things lined up, do all the stuff with the SHPO, the State Historic Preservation Office, go through the whole checklist, make sure we're not harming any endangered species. We're wanting to set all that up so that we can move this as quickly as possible.
1: Well, I I hope so, you know, because while, you know, lizards and iguanas and all that stuff, you know, we we don't want to harm them in any any way, shape or form. Human beings are more important. I'm, I'm being frank. You know, and and human beings um, benefited from Kaneel Bay being the economic engine and an opportunity zone, opportunity entity. I should say entity um, where people who work there now have homes, have families, own businesses. Um, You know, after the hurricane, uh, I was in Indiana uh, a week later. And I was introduced to a, a to, a, to a, 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 a a racetrack operator. His name is Jeff Corral. And the first thing he asked me—he had just met me—we ju- we just shook hands. Uh, this is Neville James, Majority Leader for U.S. Virgin Islands Senate. He's a horse racing enthusiast. Blah blah blah. And mm-hmm. uh, nice to meet you, Mister James. When's Caneo Bay opening? Ah,
2: look at
1: that. No, I'm serious. Um, yeah. the, this is this is up in Anderson, Indiana, right? And then I read a story earlier this month where. Uh, we thought that uh, we, 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 uh, well, I was educated on the fact that um, Richard Nixon actually visited St. John, visited the Virgin Islands um, while he was in office in late January of 1971 or 72, thereabouts. And he stayed at Keneal Bay over there in St. John. You know, we thought that, you know, after, between, between, uh, uh, we didn't have a president here between Truman and Clinton. But the reality is uh, Richard Nixon, you know, spent three days here with his wife. He came to read books and all that stuff. We need Canil Bay open again. I know that the politics and all that stuff, and environment, and making sure that Saint Johnians, those who live on Saint John, get the majority of the work um, and all that good stuff. But uh, we we gotta make this happen, man. We 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 we, we procrastinate too much, Mr. Mr. Fields, and I don't want you to be a victim of the bureaucracy and the procrastination that takes place in the Virgin Islands when it comes to moving projects forward that could provide economic opportunities for our people?
2: Thank you for that. I appreciate that Um, sense of support there. We do want to uh, move through the bureaucracy as quickly as possible. You're right in terms of the range of people who are affected by Caneel. I think about all the people that I've met, You know, former wedding planners, current wedding planners who love to get business again, the taxi drivers, the uh, event planners, the florists, um, all the folks that make a place like Caneel successful. The broadness of that economic impact is really, really big. It's not just money only going to the hotel, but it's all the other parts and pieces that tie into that. So it is a big net. Uh, and that net doesn't exist right now uh, for Camille, and uh, we have an interest in bringing it back. But we do want to follow the law. We do want to make sure that we. can... You, a, no, I, don't,
1: I don't want. I don't want you. I don't want to.
2: There is a quiet title action that's uh, uh, in the courts, and I, I don't have uh, control over how fast the court can move. But we, uh, in the meantime, while that's going through. We are still moving forward with our plans and we're keeping the public involved. We're keeping everybody aware, and that's going to continue to be our stance until Camille
1: reopens. Nigel Fields, thank you for joining us this morning. the having you on and looking forward to a more comprehensive discussion sometime in the future. Continue success. You,
2: sir. Thank you, Thank you to your listeners and have a great day.
1: You got it. That's why I'm Mr. Nigel Fields, Superintendent, uh, National Park Service over there in St. John. And, um, you know, sorry for getting um, passionate, but, you know, I. When it comes to Sinjan, you know I got a soft spot for them. You know what I mean? And when it's obvious things, we're going to make them happen. We'll take a break and we'll be back right after this. We'll do Norris to Flourish with Holly Louise and uh, uh, Chef Julius. You know, one number two. Be back right after this.
0: The views and opinions expressed on Analyze This are entirely those of the on-air participants and do not reflect those of the station's board, management, staff, or underwriters.
2: On Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, we are not afraid to stand up to the high and mighty like Jeff Bezos. He had that big cowboy hat (laughs) on. He looked like, like a shrink ray had hit Garth Brooks. I'm Peter Sagel. Join me as we speak truth to power, at least until power agrees to buy us out on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me from NPR.
0: Saturdays at 1 p.m. and Sundays at 2 p.m., right here on WTJX FM 93.1, your NPR station in the Virgin Islands. All of us want to know what's going on, but only some of us want to know the why. That's where we come in. 1A is a place for the curious daily conversations for those looking to make sense of our world. I'm Jen White. I hope you'll join me next time for 1A. Catch 1A at its new time. Weekdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. on WTJX FM 93.1.